You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout, and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off. And then, you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language... 
content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your disabled daddy, Drew, your disabled Dick Smith, your disabled dandy. I'm all those things. So let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started. Just before we sit down with our amazing guest this Saturday, I want to let you know that I was called out this past week about the podcast being inaccessible because the podcast does not have transcripts. Now, I totally understand that it, that it, it is inaccessible so far without the transcripts. I get that. We've gone 200 plus episodes and then bonus episodes without, without transcripts. I get that that's completely inaccessible, and I want to do more to curb that because I think that I want to be as accessible as possible. But I'll tell you, after being called out, I tried really, really hard to work on transcriptions for the past episodes, and I, I downloaded and bought a transcription service, and it just got really difficult to even to do the editing of the transcription for me with my energy levels and my disability, and I realized that I couldn't do it on my own. So I'm asking you, anybody who has some availability and wants to volunteer some time, I'd love for you to come on the team with me and volunteer to be a transcriptionist. I can run it through the program that I bought, and all I would ask of you, if you have some time, is to edit the transcriptions for me, because my clunky, crippled, spastic fingers can't do all that. It took me two hours last night to try to edit a piece of it, and it was super hard. So I'd love anybody's help. If you want to support the show and be a volunteer, I'd love your help. And if you have the time and the energy, I would really appreciate it. So send me an email or send me a tweet or a DM on Instagram at Drew Gerza um, or Twitter at Drew Gerza and just email me at uh, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and let me know you'd like to help transcribe the show because I want to make it more accessible and I understand that it's not accessible right now without transcripts but I am also aware of the energy levels it takes to do that as a disabled person and I don't really have a team behind me doing all this stuff. It's me, myself, and I in my bedroom. So I'd love some help if you're able. Just wanted to put that call out there. But now, let's get to the show. On the episode today, we sit down with somebody that I've been trying to get on the show for about two plus years, and I'm so excited and so proud that I finally did. I sit down with Pop Amp, who is a really popular kinkster in the kink space and runs an amazing podcast and YouTube channel called What's the Safe Word, all about kink and play and sexuality and all those great things. And so today, I sit down with Pump Pup Amp, and we talk about none other than puppy play, and we talk about my kink as a pup and how pup play helped me connect to parts of my disability and vice versa, and we talk about because Pup Amp is a big proponent of kink, we talk about what would happen if he were to become disabled and become a wheelchair user and how his kink might change. We also look at ways that the kink community, particularly the pop play community, can be more accessible. We talk about my pup name, and I introduce you to who I am as a puppy. 
so get ready for that. Um, it was a really fun conversation. We talked a little bit about other things that Papa Amp did in his life that included disabilities, such as like helping people swim and what he learned from that. There was a whole lot that we go on in this conversation, but Papa Amp is somebody that I've admired in the sexuality space for years and years, and I really value his work and what he does. Um, and I, it was just a joy to sit down with him and talk about kink, pup play, to talk about disability, to bring my experience as a disabled person into that space with him was really super fun. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And here's my episode with Pop Amp right now on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with me, Drew Gerza. Pop Amp, hello. Hello, how's it going, Andrew? How are you? Good, it's so nice to finally sit down with you. You and I have been following each other's orbits in the sexuality space for a good long time now. We've been, like, planning this for about two years, so I'm really happy it's finally happening. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always that, like, oh, maybe we will be in the same area, and then the world's kind of gone to shit. So we were just like, no, let's just do it online, and then I'm impossible to plan things with, so <laughs> thank you for me your patience. Me too, <laughs> me too. So it's I, it's totally a mutual thing. Like disability is one of those things where like you don't you can't plan because you're like oh my body's doing a thing today that I don't want it to do, so gotta cancel that. So we're here now, yay. We are we are enjoying each other's company. We're gonna have a good conversation. Um, hopefully, hopefully I, I say good things and I can't wait to learn things as well. Cause I know that'll happen in the conversation. Oh, the learning is ready. As the kids <laughs> say, as the queer kids say, the library is open. Is that a cool thing that people say? That, no, I don't that know. is definitely a thing that the queer kids say. Uh, daddy generally says reading is hard, uh, not fundamental, but I, you know, I'm, I'm here for both. Reading can be difficult, but it is still fundamental. True. <laughs> yes. Agreed. So can you can you introduce yourself to the audience if they're listening and they don't know who you are and why you're here? Can you kind of introduce yourself a little bit and we'll go from there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I go by AMP, I go by Pup AMP, I go by AMP Summers, I go by Hey You. I mean, if you're paying my bills, I'll, I'll answer the call. No. Um, I'm a sex education uh, YouTuber, podcaster, person on the internet that just kind of tries to make sex and education fun and approachable. Having fun with people, never having fun at people is kind of my perspective because we do a lot of humor and jokes and the, the stuff that we do with our show called What's the Safe Word um, that if you're not having fun and you're not able to laugh about the sex that you're having, like, why are you having sex, you know? Yeah, That's totally. That's kind of who I am. That's cool. <laughs> and, and are you, just for the audience, are you a person with a disability or not? Um, I am not. No, I am a, a gay, cis, male. Um, I am very able to do the things, um, and I am very into puppy play, which is another big thing and kind of where we came from, uh, the pet play, the role players. Nice, nice. And so that that's a perfect segue into my <laughs> very first question, because I, if anyone's, so I'm a, I'm a puppy too, and I, well, I'll get into that in a minute, but if anybody I didn't know that. We never, we, did we never talk about that? Oh, no, man. how did we not talk about that of all oh, things? Oh, no. We, <laughs> okay, we, we, we will definitely get to that. There will be a whole tangent about my puppy kink and why I like it. Wait to interview you. Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Oh, no, my Google. Fuck off, Google. It was talking to me as I was talking. <laughs> oh, no. 
I'm not going to cut that out because I can't edit, so let's try that again. Um, what I said was, yeah, I'm a puppy, so that, but that leads into my next, my very first question. If anybody's listening in and they're like, what is this puppy stuff? What are they talking about? Like, what is this? Can you give us an overview of, like, what that is in terms of sexuality and kink? Sure. Um, I mean, for me, whenever it comes to puppy play, because we get this question a lot, when your name is Pup Amp, it kind of comes with the territory, whether you're marking it or not. Um, But it is generally a role play where you are pretending to be an animal in some sort of facet. Uh, There's generally like a dom and a sub within that play. The doms generally, again, I'm doing generals here, uh, the one who's controlling the pet's player And the pet player is somebody who's taking on the role of an animal. So it's not just puppies. Uh, I like puppies, but, like, I know people that are horses. I know people that are kittens or cats. Um, And it's not gender-specific. It's not ability-specific. Like, everyone's welcome in pet play. And I just say, like, if you're looking to get into puppy play, like, everyone's got that vision of what a dog looks like or how they play in their mind. And that's generally where people go. They, like, get down on all fours, and they're either goofy or docile or, like, kind of like mean and angry but in a fun playful way everyone has a, a different perspective which is why i really enjoy and love puppy play and what for you like when were you like oh this is definitely a thing that i'm gonna like this is an identity that i'm going to my spider uh, bites my, my dog bites <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um i was in a super super vanilla relationship i know it's possible even for me uh no shaming no shaming whatsoever uh, forever ago, and we were on this big camping trip with a bunch of gays, and there was this one couple that was a puppy and a daddy. I didn't know what that meant yet. I knew I was kinky. I knew I liked bondage. Um, but when I saw them interact, it was very much on this different level. It was like kind of spiritual. It was playful. But they had this relationship that was so much more than boyfriends, and they would just have these little cues and nods that let you know that they knew what they were talking about, even if you didn't speak puppy. Yeah. It was really cute and endearing. Um, and then so I, I kind of got to know them a, bit, a bit better and looked and found that Seattle had this, when I lived in Seattle, had this huge puppy play community. Um, and it was just what I like to, to call it is like the fun, playful way to get into kink because a lot of people see kink as dark and brooding and, you're going to get hurt and abused, and that's not that's not what kink is about. No, not at all. It makes it playful. And, you know, for me, you know, you've, you've mentioned what your pup name is, so I feel like I have to tell you mine. Um, so <laughs> mine is, and I got into puppy play because somebody that I was fucking or really into called me a pup one day, and I was like, oh, I like that, and I, uh-huh. I want to, I wanna, probably for all the wrong reasons, I wanted to please them, and so I was like, all right call me puppy, it's fine, we'll go with it. And I didn't realize at the time that there was, that there was a community out there and that it was something that I could be a part of. And because everything I had seen about pup play was like, like we said, people on all fours and in pup hoods. And I was like, well, that's not really accessible for me as sure. a power, like a power wheelchair user. That doesn't, I don't think I'm allowed to do that. And then, then a couple of years later, a friend of mine brought over a puppy mask, and I was like, oh, but I can wear that. That's accessible to me. I can do that. And so there's a picture of me w- without a shirt on wearing the puppy mask, and I was like, well, this is in my power chair. And I thought, I want to connect disability to this because it's I have to. I can't 
divorce myself from being disabled in this space. Sure. I, per- I personally couldn't. So I was like, well, I'm a power chair user, so I'm going to call myself Power Puppy. <laughs> and so it's just, it's stuck for me because I was like, well, it's, it's really playful and it's fun and it, it pays homage to my disabled identity. Um, and it felt really, and I don't use it super often because I don't get a lot of chances to be in that space hmm. as a puppy because, well, right now the world is going to shift, but also like sure. my sex play tends to be with sex workers who, I mean, I'm sure if I said I want to do puppy play, they, they would oblige, but I feel like because I only have an X amount of time with this person, I can't, I don't get to explore that part of my pup play a lot because I only have two hours every, you know, couple of weeks with this worker. Sure. So it feels like sometimes I can't explore puppy play as much as I want to, but I mean, part of why I think for disability too, it's really valuable to be a puppy is that it allows for you to let go and it allows for you to, for me anyway, to get into a headspace where I don't have to worry how my disability is going to interplay with this. Mm-hmm. I can just be, I can relax and I can let a primal sense of myself kind of come out a little bit more, yeah. which I feel as a disabled person is hard to do because, you know, I feel like a lot of my life is regimented by care needs and regimented by all the things that I'm required to do and I have to be good and I have to be, like, I have to follow this very regimented idea of what it means to be disabled. And when I get to put on a puppy mask or play or be called power puppy or, or you know, play in that space, I get to let go of that a little bit. Absolutely. And I think that even with, like, the, the way in which my very, like, elevator speechy kind of intro to puppy play, I think even just talking about that, if you want to talk about, like, disabilities and ableism, like, that is a little ableist itself because it's such a it, – it infers that you need to be very active and very mobile. But, but in like, in your instance, in your example there, you talk about a very core definition to, like, what kink is, which is headspace. And, like, headspace, it, when you're imagining what kind of dog you are or what kind of cat or – dragon if you're a dragon pet player they do exist like oh cool i want that (laughs) (laughs) there's snakes there oh there's all sorts of different animals like the same way that furries have a bunch of different types of fursonas puppies and pet players they they run the gambit there's a whole there's a whole farmyard (laughs) um anyway oh headspace but what i was going to say about headspace is you don't even need to be with someone physically to enjoy or partake in submission or even puppy play or pet play because a lot of that is very much based on some fantasy. Um, Obviously, role play is a type of fantasy, whether you're acting it out or not. Uh, But you don't need to be active in it. You can easily sex with it. You can easily talk about it. Um, And there's always, at least when COVID's not happening, um, there's always live events, and that's where I – had actually met a few uh, puppies who had disabilities uh, back in the day when we could go to puppy moshes. You could go to like out to places and be human again. Yeah. Or, be, or be, puppy again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, puppy, puppy play for me, it really, I have to say, it's something that I'm so excited by because it allows me to let go. And it allows, like I was saying, it allows me to just be. And if I like, like, it also helps, I think, in terms of like, you know, I have incontinence problems because of my disability. And so if I'm in that space and something is to happen to me, 
I could not have to worry so much about, oh, I had an accident, but puppies do that, so that's okay. Like, <laughs> it allows for all some, like, some of the things that disability, that people are kind of like, oh, that's, it's not cool to do that. It allows for some of those things to, to relax a bit, at least for me. Yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. I mean, besides the fact that, like, pet players and diapers, there's a lot of crossover there. Um, I mean, you, you kind of touch on what a lot of people go to puppy play for, which is it's never a form of therapy, but it, it, get, it provides people with kind of like a therapeutic, like, way to get out of their brain for the day, you know, kind of relax at the end of the day, uh, yep. get into this headspace that is very therapeutic or maybe even hypnotic or meditative for them. So it's absolutely helpful in that way as well. It, and I would to- I totally agree that the times that I've been called puppy and the times that I've been in that space with somebody that I was, was you know, hanging out with, not even in a sexual context, but just having them call me that and see me that way, was like, I can be, I can relax now. My disability, it doesn't have to be a problem if I'm a puppy because I can just, I can, I can let go. Um, how do you think that the kink or pub space could be more accessible? I mean, it could be more accessible. <laughs> and I, I mean that because um, I, I used to be on, when I was in Seattle, I used to be on the board of uh, CPAW. So, like, for puppy and pet players, uh, there are lots of PAW groups, so P-A-H, Pups and Handlers is what that stands for. And I was on the board of the Seattle, or CPAW, group. And we would have moshes in whatever place we could find because back then it was kind of still hard to find a bar that would support a bunch of people getting down to underwear or hoods or whatever it is. Yeah. (laughs) And roll around on mats uh, around like what could be dangerous equipment, you know, chairs, stages. Um, So we had to sometimes go to like bunkers of people's apartments. And, you know, when we first started the, the group, we, there were stairs upon stairs to get down to these very, very dark, you know, basement areas. It wasn't accessible. And we did have some people that were, like, wanting to get into the play, even just to watch and, and interact in that way as a handler or somebody who handles the, the puppies. Um, and it was hard to do without a proper ramp or an elevator to get down to those spaces. We were lucky in that we had a bar locally that not only had an access ramp and uh, a lift, uh, but we're open to having moshes more frequently, which are kind of where people get into gear and wrestle around. Um, but they also had, like, mats and safety equipment. And so we we ended up getting to that place of accessibility, but there's plenty of places and bars where people have events that just don't have that accessibility yet, even to this day. And, I mean, I think that, you know, I'm going to make a weird connection here that isn't really a connection, but here we go. I love it how when you watch, like, an actual animal, like, an actual animal YouTube video where the dog has disabilities, for mm-hmm. real, like a real dog would have disabilities, the owner will do whatever you can do to make the dog have a happy life. But if a disabled person says, I need some, I need the same kind of, like, help, people go, oh, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, I can't get that for you. Mm-hmm. Like oh, You're right. If you watch, like, you know, and they, they have all these heartwarming videos, because I watch them all the time, these heartwarming videos of, like, real live dogs who have disabilities, and they'll get them a special, like, puppy thing, and they'll get them, like, wheels to, to like, a wheelchair for the dog, and it's adorable, but then I always think, like, what if an actual disabled human said they needed a new wheelchair 
why does no one like step up when that is a thing that needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, and and you think at one point you're like, oh, faith and humanity restored when somebody you know goes to a shelter and adopts a puppy that needs special attention, but then those same people will scoff at somebody who needs a little bit of attention or help just to get into a place. Yeah, yeah, and so I'm not sure how I made that connection, but I felt like it was a good one. Well, I think it just goes to show that uh, people need to, to treat everyone like a puppy. No. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Um, have you seen when you were like, when you were other than like the, the example you gave just now, have you seen people be ableist in the kink space? And how do you think we can like, obviously we need to be more, more accessible, but how do you think we can talk about ableism in the kink space and because it isn't something we can change overnight. I think there's a lot of ableism in sexuality generally, mm-hmm. but the kink space is a place where disability kind of converges a lot more, and I feel like there's a lot of ableism there. So how do you think we can fix that? I mean, for myself personally, because of the way that we're raised, like you don't always think about disabilities as a factor in anything. Um, for me, when it came to like sex and education, obviously – as somebody who doesn't have a disability, I don't have that perspective, but I do have eyes and ears and a brain that can not only listen, but make coherent thoughts, put it together, and then have conversations that can be broadcasted like we're doing right now. I think listening goes a long way, not only to having compassion and empathy, but to understanding and then understanding the topic enough that you can also talk about it with other people and provide education in that way. Um, but that's just my perspective as an educator. But <laughs> I think that it also goes a long way when you uh, stick up for people, when you are an ally and to those that, that maybe don't have the voice or reach of somebody on social media. Like, I mean, you, for instance, have an amazing reach, but I, I'm sure there are plenty of educators that would love to talk about their disabilities and make it more known in our space. Yeah. And part of that just comes with listening and providing your Maybe not your voice because it's not your story to tell, but your platform to raise up those other voices. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know you've done that on your platform. Like, you've done some amazing videos with Uh-oh. disabled um, kinksters and disabled sex educators. And, you know, you did one with, with. It was Robin and Liz. That's right. Robin Wilson Beattie and Liz Powell. Mm-hmm. Last last year, which I thought was cool because I got a shout out, yay! Uh, um, and so shout outs, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. So when you did that as an educator, like, what was, what did you learn from sitting in and doing that experience with them? Sure. Ooh, I distinctly remember first and foremost, um, our space was not super super accessible. It, it had a lift, but like I didn't even think to check if the lift was working, and then even then because Robin has a, a mobility uh, disability. I don't recall specifically what uh, her disability is, but she can't walk up the stairs super easily. Um, but she was still, she wanted to walk up the stairs. She was able to, so she did. <laughs> and then at the same time, um, Liz, the other the other wonderful person that I brought on for the episode, had invisible, invisible disabilities, which, like, in the back of my mind, I knew was a thing, but until you really have a conversation about how, somebody has chronic pain or how somebody was in the military and might have some sort of like um, problems with like joints or with their nerves. You don't really think about that being something people consider a disability, but it absolutely is, especially if you're talking about kink, because 
if somebody has problems with like their wrists or, or their nerves, like you can't tie them up in certain positions or put them in positions for certain amounts of time. Um, and so that, that was a really positive experience for me because even when I had come into the conversation expecting, you know, what we were going to talk about uh, with Liz being a, a therapist um, and Robin just being a wonderful educator, I still didn't have like education in my own wheelhouse to be like, I know what an invisible disability is because I didn't even think, I, I didn't even comprehend that that was a possible topic. Um, so I was, I was not only taught, <laughs> but uh, brought, brought down to that, that conversation, um, which made it a lot more real for, for those watching the episode, but also a lot more engaging for, for me as I learned. And I mean, I think that learning process is really, and I really value that like, you will openly say, I didn't know, I was learning. I think yeah. that's really valuable because we tend to do this thing when we talk to disabled people, especially about sex, where we go, oh, yeah, it's no problem. I'll figure it out as we go. But then what happens is when you start doing the, the things that you think you're okay with, all of a sudden you realize that you're not okay with it or the ableism that you didn't think was there comes up out of nowhere and then you have no recourse. So then the education piece is really valuable and I think it's really valuable for other educators instead of saying oh yeah you're disabled and like it's okay and I'll learn as we go I think it's really valuable to say I'm not, I don't know I don't know I, d- I don't I, need, I don't <laughs> I need, you know like I think it's such a it's such a, a a better way to just be honest about your ignorance and go from there oh absolutely um, I mean, I, I haven't watched the episode for forever, but I'm pretty sure you can see my face and I'm like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even think about it because yeah, you I, definitely, I didn't <laughs> definitely were like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was, I remember watching that and just watching it like before I knew that I was going to be like called, like called in in, the, in a gentle, cool way. <laughs> but like, um, you know, before I, I, was, I watched the episode and I just thought, oh, he's really learning. Like he's, you could, you could see that. You were being your your mind was being blown with all this disability knowledge. The library was open, and there wasn't any reading, but there was learning. <laughs> you know, and I I like to at least my perspective is I don't know anything in this world. Like, yeah, I can Google. I, I know how to Google. That's about it. Um, and then I know how to listen and comprehend and form opinions. But even then, at the end of the day, I'm not going to know everything about everything. And that's okay because my form of sex positivity, the way that I explain it at least, is being open to different perspectives. And yeah, you can have your own opinions and your own perspectives, but being open to everyone's opinions and perspectives on something, being able to have a conversation, and even if you don't agree, you understand that that person is the way they are because of how they were raised or maybe the abilities that they have, and being okay with that and still allowing them to exist because we're all human and nobody's perfect, you know, and just having conversations from there because we're still learning things about sex, abilities, our gender, our identities to this day. And we have so much science. It's true. (laughs) Some people don't use that science. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this just after uh, the dumpster fire got out (laughs) out of the American presidency so you're not we're, yeah yeah um <laughs> but don't want to wax too political here because i have feelings about that but uh you and so let's go back to your puppy play for a minute because i have a <laughs> i have a thought experiment that i want to pose to you okay so we know you're a pup e a puppy 
Um, have you thought about how your puppy persona might change if you were to become disabled tomorrow? If you were to become physically disabled and have and and not be able to do certain things, have you have you ever given any thought to how that might change? Because I see I see a lot of your pup personas like I, like we said on all fours. You're very like you're very active in what it means to be a puppy. But then I when I was when I was doing research on you last night to come up with like questions, I was like, well, what if what if he had couldn't do that? How would your how would that change? Sure. Uh, I mean, obviously, I've I've thought about it because we're having a conversation. But previously, I've definitely um, I mean, I have personally like I have really bad toes, and I played soccer for like. 15 years. So I've had a number of instances where I've just walked the wrong way and I'm out of commission for my, like my foot, you know? And so that affects my play. But even past that, like if I were in even more mobile or more disabled in that way, um, I mean, I probably wouldn't be as active on the math. That's for sure. But I've also seen a lot of handlers um, that are disabled or use wheelchairs and wrangle the puppies or, Puppies that pull carts. Like if you've ever seen, Fol- have you ever been to Folsom? I don't actually know. I have not. I would love to be. Uh, you, you are the second YouTube. You are the second internet person that's been like, why? Are, why haven't you been? Let's get you there. So if you, me, and Race Cooper and Matt Fuller want to like find a way to get me down there at some point when it's safe, I would love it so much. I mean, I know people with carts and ponies and puppies that will pull the carts. <laughs> I mean, let's make it happen. I'm so ready for this. Okay, I will put a pin on that. Um, yes. But I, I, I see myself as being a lot more of a handler in that perspective as well. I feel that I would be much more about taking care of the puppies. Like, personally, when it comes to puppy play and, like, moshing, I'm I'm the, the dog that is standing to the corner and might have, like, some of the toys hoarded, but I'm not really playing much. I'm just watching to make sure no one else is being too rambunctious and then, like, barking at them if they're getting too crazy. Like, I'm that kind of dog. <laughs> well, see, I'm the dog that's like, if we're going to go right into what my puppy persona is, I'm Please. definitely the dog, I'm the golden retriever puppy that wants to be loved all the time. Oh. <laughs> that, that, that's literally me. Oh. And, but to that, I, I love golden retrievers. I'm more of a German shepherd myself, but if I could have a dog. I could see that from you. I can see, yeah. Easily distracted, somewhat loyal, uh, incredibly derpy, and I think that I'm much smaller than I actually am. I'm here for that. <laughs> the, oh. There's so many innuendos there that I went that I was like, I could do. <laughs> well, and everybody everybody has a different vision of what their puppy or pet would look like as well. Um, but if I if I had some sort of, or if I was put into that perspective of your question, um, I definitely see myself being a lot more of a handler. Um, I, I have seen, uh, players that actually are service, service puppies, um, and they are in wheelchairs and they have like little like canine, uh, a canine, almost like what you would put on an actual dog who's like a yeah. dog, but on their wheelchair. Um, that, I didn't even know that exists. That's really cool. I like that. Yeah. We had a few in Seattle, um, because we had that space that was accessible. Um, but then also to your question, I've been getting into a lot more, play that isn't even physical when it comes to like puppy play like hypnotism um and meditation in that regard like getting to that headspace doesn't require any actions whatsoever kind of as we alluded to earlier like yeah. you can you can get into a hypnotic headspace and all i'm doing for the most part is generally just sitting there and zoning out 
Um, so I would definitely probably be a lot more into that. I'm the best at that. Like, that's my <laughs> bullshit. You just sit there and zone out. Um, you also do a lot of kinky stuff with your partner. True. In the In the what's it safe word. Have you, like, given some of the stuff I've seen you do with, like, bondage and, like, toys and all that kind of stuff, have you, like, given any thought to how that might change? Or, or just your relationship with him might change if one of you were to become disabled? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I know it would change because somebody would, would be of a different ability and I obviously wouldn't live on, like, the third floor that I currently do that is not easily accessible if you don't know how to get upstairs. Um, it absolutely affects your your how you can be tied up, how you can lay, um, what kind of toys you can use and, and how you use them. But I think that kinksters also have a lot of really good tools and like items like slings and, uh, I mean, bondage can be helpful to help you get into a position that would definitely be utilized in that sort of instance. I have a sling that is used for, <laughs> to put me in and out of my wheelchair and, oh. and I will, when I'm with sex workers, hi John Shield, I will, um, <laughs> I will, will use the sling to get me in and out of my chair and like, yeah, that does become a part of our, sex play and so that's that's really like yeah and so I think I do think that your kind of what's the safe word thing would shift a bit no, into absolutely. and I, I think that could also be really cool and so I love posing this question to non-disabled queer men because it makes them go like oh I never really thought about that before and here's how that might change and I love kind of doing it on the spot because it forces them to give a very real answer really quick Without sure. being given too much time to like think about it, so thanks for that. Of course. <laughs> no, I pre- I appreciate and I I like those kinds of thought pieces because I mean sometimes I'm not going to have an answer because obviously I haven't lived that experience or perspective, um, but I've absolutely seen questions all the time from from those of different abilities online asking how they can you know do one of our bondage ties if they have bad joints or if they can't sit in this position or if they can't lie in that position. And I think that what's great about bondage, kink in general, but especially bondage, is like it is this incredibly hyper-creative space that once you've learned a few knots, you you are pretty much working with a person's body and what their limitations are. And in kink, you, you the first conversation you might have is, are you into bondage? Sure. But then after that, you have conversations of like, what are your abilities? What is your limitation? Do you have any joint problems or do you have this or that? What do you like? What do you like when you're tied up? And I think that that, that over communication, that like that enthusiastic consent, as we say, um, is part of what makes it really sexy. Personally. I, I, yeah, I would agree with you. And I feel like disabled people, um, we're really good at saying exactly what it is we need because mm-hmm. we're used to needing help. A lot of us with complex disabilities, and I'll use myself as the example, I need help to get to do basically everything in my house that I can't reach, I need help with. So I know exactly how to say, I need this done, I need this done this way, I need it done this way, thank you, thank you. Um, and so, but I will say that in a kinkhead space, when I'm with, say, John Shield or a sex worker or somebody that I... And I, I'm only bringing him up because, because I know that we're all friends. Right. Uh, so, and I, I also like to embarrass him publicly. It's fun. Uh, so, and so, you know, when we're 
together, it'll be really hard for me to sometimes use my my great communication skills because I'm like, I want to just be sexy right now. Like I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to over communicate this. I want to just let go. And I feel like as a disabled person, it's sometimes really hard to, even though there is a sexiness in being able to over communicate. You there is a moment of like, I wish I could just this could just happen. Absolutely, and I think that that's. Um... That is also just like it sounds like you're trying to like get into a, a submissive headspace, which you over communicate first, and then you let the person know that they're in control and when you need to be in control or what your needs or wants or safe words are, and then you can just kind of give that control away. Which I, I mean, personally as a sub, I really enjoy that part too. The king yeah. mindset. I, I am a sub for the most part when, when people and I get together. Uh, and so the reason I'm a sub, I guess, is because I like to just let go. I like to be told what to do and just relax. And so I don't even remember what my question was. But <laughs> uh, everyone that's listening now knows I'm a sub, and I don't know if I've said it before, but now I'm saying it officially. Uh, uh, yay. I'm sure I've said it somewhere, but I'm saying it again. Uh, and that you're a puppy, which I don't know that I've ever heard you say anywhere, and I listen to your podcast very frequently. Well, guess well, thank you, but also guess what? <laughs> so now I'm saying it. It's pup power puppy. Yes, that's who I am. Um, so one of the things you said in your questionnaire was that you at one point were a swim instructor. Yes. And you helped some people with disabilities do some swimming stuff, and that made me think. Because I used to also do, like, therapeutic swim. And I fell in love with every single instructor that I had because my little queer heart couldn't deal with it. There were half-naked men standing there. And I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. So that's that's a big, long tangent to say when you were helping somebody with disability swim. Like, what was that experience like for you? Um, Was it your first kind of experience actually hands-on with a disabled person? And what did you learn from that? Uh, yes, uh, to the, the hands-on with someone who is disabled. Um, my So I taught swimming lessons for like 12 years. I started when I was like 12 years old. I joined very early. I was always in swimming um, because I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was, it was a way in which you were getting active, but you were also like dancing through the water and getting places. Uh, but what I really loved about swimming is there there's so many ways to do it like quote-unquote right, but everybody gets to the water a different way. And if you're not able to do a certain kind of arm movement or leg movement, there's always a way around that. And what I learned through teaching literally from babies to grandmas and people of all sorts of disabilities or abilities was that everybody learns differently. And I think to this day is why I enjoy educating in all forms um, because I like watching somebody understand something and get it or get better at something, and, like, that nice little, like, aha moment of, like, look, I did it. Like, I find that super rewarding. And so, especially when you're working with someone who might have a disability, whether it's a learning disability or a physical disability, like, yeah, you have to be a little bit more patient, but I find that that patience and that willingness to work with somebody and and make sure that they understand what they're doing and also getting somewhere was not only really rewarding, but taught me a number of different ways of teaching, um, I mean, some people with disabilities are very, very, they fine, fine, fine tune, like hone in on how you're doing something with emotion or how you're explaining something. Or if you're not explaining it the right way, 
maybe you have to do it a different way. And it teaches you to be more conscious of how you're doing something and why you're doing something, but also how you're saying it. If you're doing, some people are very good at visual learning. Some people are very good at listening, for instance. Yeah, I found when I used to swim lots with my mom, and my mom was my, the person basically threw me in the pool and said, <laughs> oh, no. and said you have brain damage, like, you'll be fine. You already have you already have brain damage, just get in the pool with me. And it was a really sweet mother and son mom, because she was like, you already have brain damage, just come swim, you'll be fine. Aww. So <laughs> we got in the water together, and to your point about, like, it really makes you focus on certain things, I learned how to, you know, take a breath into the water and to, like, turn myself over and to, like, do a bunch of swimming stuff that I can't do in, in like, my in my day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because for a minute I was noticing the mechanics of my disabled body in the water were completely different than they are when I'm in a wheelchair. So it was mm-hmm. a really kind of cool moment of, like, oh – your body can do things that you didn't realize it could do, and look, look at you, like, look at you being able to do that thing. And yes, you're doing it totally differently, and you look like you're drowning. And people are like, because I did look like I was, I did look like I was drowning in the pool, but I was totally fine. But people thought that I was like, oh no, you're. They kept saying this, oh no, you poor son. And my mom's like, no, no, he's fine. He'll be, it's fine. And I would pop up out of the water and be like, oh, I'm swimming, yeah. Like it was, it was a really cool, like moment for me to kind of accept uh-huh. the fact that I was a disabled person in the water and realizing that my my body couldn't do certain things, but it was okay. But also, like, you have different muscles that do different things. Like, every, you, you use different muscles swimming than you would any other action or movement throughout your day. And so it's, it's also just a great form of exercise, too, and helps yeah. with, like, physical therapy. And so... Yeah, I always just found swimming and teaching lessons to be super rewarding. Even as the person who was doing the teaching, you learn a lot. And I mean, and I remember being like, you know, in my mid-20s, going to Florida with my mom or going like down to where pools were with my mom and her saying, well, if you want all the guys to look at you, you have to do this move really well. And so it was a really cute, weird, queer moment of like, my mom was like, well, how do I get my kid to do this? And what's going to make him, what's going to motivate him if I tell him that if he does it, he'll get dick. So, I mean, guys in speedos will motivate me. I'm just saying. So I want to I ask you a question about if there was something about disability that you've had a burning question about or something that you've been curious about that you've been too afraid to ask somebody because I'm also an educator. So I want to give you the space as a non-disabled person, to, like, ask me something. Whether it's ableist or not, it doesn't matter. I want to give you the space to just ask it, and we can talk it through together. Sure. Um, I will say that Robin and Liz did wonderful jobs in that episode of answering many uh, fallacies, myths, and questions, but I think that a really good conversation that I would love to have with you uh, revolves around kinks or fetishes that do fetishize those with a different disability or maybe like an even amputee fetishes because those are largely popular i mean within the popular kinks that exist out there amputee fetishes are very popular but they are still very stigmatizing for some people i'm curious what your perspective is on that and having that conversation i mean i think it boils down to the pre-conversation mm-hmm. so you talk to the person before you start fucking 
and I, I always call this the the storyboarding your sex. So before you do anything with a person, you sit down with them and you say, here's what I want to do. Here's my end game. I want to come all over your face. That's, that's my end game. Or, you know, something similar. I want to come and have a good time with you. Um, how do we get there together? And what is the re- – what is – what can I do, what do I want to do, and what is the reality of what I can actually do? And you kind of break that down together. You, like, draw pictures, you talk about it, you really lay it out, and you you talk about that. And so if somebody says, if a partner said to me, I want to fetishize your wheelchair, I would say, okay, full stop, hard stop, no. You can fetishize me in my wheelchair, but I don't appreciate you fetishizing my wheelchairs. I really think when it comes to stuff like like amputee fetishes and stuff, I think it's all valid and it's all okay. But when you start dehumanizing the person yeah. or removing the person from the conversation, that's where I have a problem with it. And so these pre-conversations that aren't all built on, let's fuck right now. The, the real, like when John and I, for instance, when he and I started working together, we sat down for a couple sessions and like, I mean, the first session, we kind of just made out and tried to figure each other out. But we sat down after a while and said, like, what are you, what are we, how do we make this work for each other? And those kind of, that conversation allowed us to have a bond with each other that is so much stronger now because he asked questions, I asked questions. Like, I said stuff that probably wasn't cool, and he said stuff that probably wasn't cool. We talked it through, and, like, we realized that there was no malice towards the other person there was just we want to make this work and so like like i've i think having that conversation with the person first about fetishization because it can be hot like i have partners that fetishize me and i will fetishize myself in a sexual context i'll say like hey want to touch my big throbbing joystick like want to i know that i'm disabled so i don't pretend like that's not a part of it and i will fetishize myself first to give my non-disabled partner a chance to see that it's part of who I am. And I, I always say to them, like, you know, call me a sexy gimp when we're fucking or say this. Or, like, it's okay if you want to try that out because I want them to see that it's a part of my identity. And, I mean, this doesn't work for everybody, but for me, that's a kinky turn-on. Because it's, it, what it says to me is, you see me now, you see that this disability is not going away. Like, that's why I had the words queer cripple put on my chest because that way when we're fucking or we're making out or whatever it is we're doing you have to look at that and you have to see that on my body and see that that's a part of who I am yeah that's powerful oh um sorry to to ask such an intense question um but I think it's a it's an important conversation to have because I mean I'm not going to use terminology that somebody does not prefer to use for themselves but even then like maybe some of the verbiage you use other people feel uncomfortable about and does that make their uncomfort or their their comfortability around the terminology invalid no no but, but having the conversations around you know kinks and fetishes like like you were saying the the moment that you fetishize the the kink and dehumanize the person or where you fetishize the person and dehumanize them is the the point in which i'm you're not even okay having a conversation about it. Yeah, so. no, it, it needs to be a hard stop. Like, it, yeah, yeah it, it's not okay. And, like, I think that storyboarding your sex, well, it's not the sexiest part of what you could do, 
it's also really important to sit with somebody and be like, okay, we're going to fuck right now. It'll be great in about five minutes. But before we do that, can we please talk about this? Like, and that's hard because we've been taught through our media that sex is this immediate, spontaneous, like, burst of hormones. Uh-huh. And, and, like, everybody knows, especially, like, you know, as a kingster, that's not how it is. It's mm-hmm. a slow burn. It takes a while for stuff to, like, you know, come up. And so, like, having those conversations and laying it out. And if somebody said to me, I really want to fetishize this part of your disability, Andrew, I would consider, do I think they're hot enough to do that with? Do I want to do that with them? Do I think they're worth teaching about that later and talking about that later? Is it okay? Like, I also have to make the choice. And if I say yes, if I, if I say, yeah, okay, they can do that, but then I'll talk to them later. Or yes, I'll, they can do that, but I have to talk about this first. You have to really lay out, like, what what why there's ableism there and why that might hurt. And it, and it doesn't take away from their their kink, but it shows them that why this might not be the greatest kink for the two of you together. Sure. Well, and also, I think having that conversation, even hypothetically, kind of, because in that instance, you're having to teach, you're having to educate, which I can't speak for you, but I can imagine that you are constantly having to educate for yourself and advocate for yourself because these kinds of conversations don't happen in a normal sex education class. Yeah, I mean, they don't. Let alone LGBT topics, but like topics around disability or just the different abilities and genders that exist. Like we don't we don't have these kinds of hypothetical conversations that while inappropriate to, to have maybe with someone about them, hypothetically makes you kind of put it into perspective on not only your privilege, but your abilities and what you don't even realize you have in some cases. Yeah, and I think when you sit down with somebody that you're going to fuck in a, like, storyboarding your sex moment and say to them, like, hey, that's not going to feel super good. Can we we run down, like, how my disability is going to impact this? Like, that's really powerful. And, like, I've done that with, John, I've done that with other workers, and like that's you think it's kind of corny when you're doing it, but then you're like, no, I laid it out, and they know now, and I trust them. And mm-hmm. now, when when John or, or another sex worker and I spend time together, like I feel like I can feel safe with them and to to be slutty and kinky and like super crippled because I know that they know that it's okay to to go there, and if it isn't okay, they'll be okay if we stop. Like it's you know. So I think those conversations really allow for a, a, an understanding. And I think whether you're disabled or not and whether you're, like, whether you, you know, run into a really hot disabled person or you, like, meet someone who's disabled, being able to say to them also, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here, but I want to learn. And I'm ignorant to this, but I want to understand. That's also really hot, too. Agreed. And, well, and you're learning not only about each other's bodies and abilities, but you're learning maybe about kinks or about other other stuff that you're into, but also learning to trust someone and give up control. And I think that at least kind of pulling it full circle, like with puppy play, when I am unable to do certain things, like use human words or where maybe I'm wearing like fist mitts where, you know, you don't have full mobility of your hands. Like you are not, you don't have some of your functionality that you're used to and you have to trust someone to take the lead quite literally in some cases. <laughs> and, you have to trust them with not only knowing how you work and knowing how you look when you are in pain or in pleasure, but 
you have to kind of talk about something that's not normal to, to society. Like talking about your, your fetishes and kinks can be really, um, you're, you're very raw, you're very real. And that takes a, an understanding and patience from both people in that conversation. I mean, and so that's similarly in terms of like disability, in terms of the rawness, mm-hmm. the realness, you really have to go to places that aren't so sexy sometimes to get to that sexy spot where it's like, I want to tell you why this, ableist, why this thing you said is ableist or why this hurts, but it's because I do want to suck your dick after I tell you, but I have to tell you first so that like you can see that it hurt me or it's a problem for me and then we can move on. And I don't think yeah. enough of us do that because we don't talk about ableism in sex education classes. We don't talk about ableism in queer popular culture and we need to do more of that. Agreed. And, and at the very heart of it, like, I'm not having sex with someone because I have to. I'm having sex with someone because I want to. And if they don't understand a hang-up that I might have or uh, something maybe that I can't do, a disability, like, then that's not only going to make the sex not fun, but going to make it awkward and maybe going to make you resent the other person for not understanding who you are um, because we don't have the conversations first. Yeah. And also the conversations can still be sexy. Can like be so hot. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's how you it's how you say it and the tone and the emojis and the like you, you can still be fun and playful about the the not fun sexy bits that you're talking about. Trust me, I I've got turned on <laughs> a little bit there. I'm having I'm having a moment. Uh, um, I wanted to ask you: Have you ever slept with somebody with a visible or invisible disability that you know of? I can't say that I know about the invisible disabilities, uh, and I'm not going to assume. Um, but I have I have slept with people who have had like mobility problems, um, and for that, it's always just been talking about it. And in the case of the bondage that was happening, finding positions that worked for them and that made them not only have pleasure but not be in any pain. And that's okay. kind of my perspective. And can you do you feel comfy elaborating on a little bit of like? what stuff went down with people that you know who have mobility stuff? <laughs> um, sure. Um, so the the way that they're uh, – see, now I'm not even going to remember the name of the, the disability, but the way that um, their nerves were not comfortable in certain positions. So seat sitting for long periods of time was not fun. So obviously we weren't going to do any seated bondage. We weren't going to do any standing bondage that had them standing for long periods of time because their joints couldn't take it. And so we found some nice – just bed bondage where they could literally zone out for hours while we were doing some edging, while we did some hypnoe stuff, um, while we just had some nice meditative fun where they got off a, a few times, whether they wanted to. No, they, they wanted to, but like it was forced, forced edging. Sort I was going to be like, whoa, consent violation. No, no, no. Consent was given. Um, I was so, challenged. So the the last real question that I have for you, because I didn't follow her sheet at all, I just was like, I'm going to have a conversation with Amp and see what happens. <laughs> um, so can you think of maybe the most ableist thing you've ever thought or said or done to somebody? And I don't mean this to put you on the spot, but I think it's important that we, like, talk about that stuff. Have you, can you think of, like, the most ableist thing you've ever done, whether that be in a kink space or not, and maybe we can unpack that together? Oh, that is such a, a not only tough question, real question, 
the most ablest thing. I mean, honestly, the one thing that comes to mind just because we were just talking about it was when I asked Robin to come onto our show and then didn't even consider, do we have a space that is accessible to someone with a disability? Um, and I felt terrible as she was on her way to our space um, because I had to find a good parking spot that was accessible, not only for her, but close so she wasn't walking, and then also just making sure she could get into the building. Um, and in that moment, like, I was, and I'll be completely honest, like, I was working three jobs and trying to produce a show, and so, like, I was so in my own priorities and work, I didn't even consider that this person might have had a problem getting into the space where I was asking her to come on to our show and educate. Uh, and so I, I learned a lot, but I also learned to just be a little bit more conscious of other people, um, which I think everybody could could think about in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, I think because I've been asked to come to places too, and they, they, they mean so well. And then I roll up there in my wheelchair and they go, oh, we didn't think about X, Y, Z. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of like that you said you felt horrible, not to like, not to like, put you in a shame spot, but I like what I'm saying is like the, the the feeling you had is good and you should I hope you feel it again because it'll make you consider ableism in a way that you didn't before and so whenever a non-disabled person feels that way I always think it's a good thing never to like shame them be like oh yeah you felt bad it's like I'm happy about that no but I think it's such a because I feel it too like I say ableist I say ableist things and I do ableist things too and that feeling in your chest of like oh I fucked this up. This doesn't feel nice. Like it's good because it reminds you of like I have I have to work on this. So I think yeah. for you as a sex educator, I think you should embrace those ableist moments and like acknowledge them when you feel them and then maybe reach out to another cool disabled sex educator like me and be like, How do I I felt this, how do I fix it? I would and and thank you not only for the permission to feel that way, uh, but for shaming me again. No, uh, no, I I agree. I hear you. I it was a learning experience. Sometimes the most traumatic experiences or the the moments where we feel the worst about what we did are some of the most memorable learning experiences <laughs> because then you actually are are thinking about more than just yourself in those instances. And oh. something I say about ableism all the time is that doing an ableist thing doesn't make you a bad person. It really doesn't. It's how you, it's what you do to fix it or not fix it that mm-hmm. determines whether or not you're a douchebag. If you <laughs> just like ignore the ableism and don't address those feelings, mm-hmm. then we have, like repeatedly one. Everybody gets one time of just not knowing. But if somebody tells you and then you repeatedly keep like not doing it, then I have an issue with that. But if you if you're willing to be to learn every single time, then then I think that fixing. But I, I I do always say like ableism doesn't make you a bad person. It's your reaction to ableism that determines where how we're gonna move forward. I think that's a good perspective. I mean, yeah, I obviously I, I felt bad and obviously I wanted to like put disabilities and sex and kink in this wonderful positive light but that doesn't change the fact that I, I'm a, I messed up and I fucked up and I apologize and I learn from it and hopefully move forward and, and do better um, and to that I think that like cancel culture or whatever you want to call it in this day and age like has its place and its moments that it can help but large in large part like 
I truly think that people mean well and deserve a chance to do better. Um, yes. I know I'm not perfect. I'm, and, I, yeah. I will never say that. <laughs> I'm a disabled person, and I have, like I just said, I've done ableist things. I will do ableist things. I'll say ableist stuff. I'll say, you know, I'll say racist stuff. I'll say stuff that, like, you know, we, we all will do, but it's it's about what do you do when somebody tells you that, and then how do you move, go forward? If if you if someone tells you that thing you did hurt me, and you laugh it off and keep doing it, that's an issue. But if, if someone says that thing you did is needs to be rectified, and you go, oh, wow, let me work on that. Like, that's a, I like that so much more, and I think we need much more of that in both disability spaces and kink spaces. Because, yeah, it's super fun to be mad at the able other people all the time, but it doesn't help. Like, what if I want to fuck that, that able-bodied guy that made the mistake? How am I going to do that if he thinks I'm mad at him all the time? Like, he's not going to want to hang out if, if I keep telling him how all the ableist things he's done without giving him an option to learn. So, yeah. I love that. Um, I, I, I hear, I agree. I'm always learning. I will do better. <laughs> Amazing. This was such a fun combo, and it was so nice to sit down with you finally after two years of planning. We're finally doing it. We finally did it. Yay! Yay! We did the thing. <laughs> um, so, because you are an internet person, please tell us how to rate, subscribe, and follow all your things. How do we do that? Jeez. Okay, I'm going to be one of those influencer people that we all hate. Um, I'm Pup Amp on all the social medias, P-U-P-A-M-P, one word. Um, and then on the, the YouTubes, uh, we have a show called What's the Safe Word? Uh, it's a sex education video blog that is all about LGBTQ plus sex education, but we always try to make it acceptable and accessible to all people, bodies, and identities. And then we have an, a podcast called What's Your Safe Word uh, that Andrew will also be on. So if you want to hear more of our voices talking and conversing and, and hopefully just being downright silly, um, but covering important topics, that is What's Your Safe Word on all podcasting apps. I am so excited because I have a crush <laughs> on your co-host and you and you too. But I have a crush on your co-host especially. So I, I don't blame you. That'll be – you'll, you'll get to hear me be super awkward when that comes out. <laughs> um one last piece of learning that I wanted to mention before we're done, because I just remembered it now. In our whole conversation, you, when you were talking about disability, you said all abilities a lot, and I wanted mm. to to suggest going forward that maybe instead of saying all abilities, you use disability, because when you say all ability, it kind of erases disability as a culture. So when you say, oh, yeah, I'm helping people of all abilities, I know what you mean, but if you said I'm helping disabled people, you know, or people with disabilities too, it allows for them to have their own culture and their own experiences as a disabled person. And that's just something I heard you say throughout that I was like, just want to let him know that maybe if you wanted to, you can, you can, I think you can use the word people with disabilities or disabled people to talk about that community. Because I think when you say all abilities, it might be a, an unintentional form of erasure. Okay. No, I, I think, A, thank you. B, noted. C, I loved talking about disabilities with you. Amazing. I like that. Yay, thank you. <laughs> um, no, thank you. Honestly, um, there is a reason that whenever I talk to people about this topic that your name comes up. Um, you are gracious. You are kind. 
and you waited until the very end to call me out. <laughs> and also, I'm sorry. No need to be sorry. It's just something that I, it's just a little suggestion that I was going to throw your way. But no, we're recording your show tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not going to come out for anyone who's listening to this is like, what do you mean tomorrow? It'll, it'll be out at some point, but so we're done. Pop Amp, this is such a fun time for you to be on Disability After Dark. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. That was another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, a part of the Wheels on the Ground Network. I'm really, really happy you came to this one. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.drewgerza.com and you can follow me on all my socials at, at Drew Gerza. So Instagram and Twitter at Drew Gerza. You can also follow the podcast at DisAskDarkPod on Twitter. Remember, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about why you want to be on the show, and we'd love to have you. The show is, again, no longer just a sex and disability podcast. We want to talk to you about everything. So drop us a line. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more to keep a bright light shining on these stories. I'm your host, Drew Gerza, your disabled daddy. Thank you so much for listening to this Wheels on the Ground production, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions with music by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020